0: Open your Bibles up to Mark chapter 1. We're working our way through Mark. And going slower than I had hoped and maybe some of you had hoped. Have you ever, uh, well I'm sure you have, have you in the past couple weeks been going the wrong direction? I found myself doing that the other day. I was in Norm's truck. Probably shouldn't announce that you loaned that out there. It's the worst thing about having a truck, because everyone wants to use it, right? But I was in his truck going down the road to pick something up, and I didn't know where I was. I was on the 118. I was trying to figure out what exit to take. So I took an exit, went off, going down the road, and realized I'm going the wrong way. So I, my first instinct was to blame it on my GPS. Oh, it told me the wrong... Oh, no, actually, I went the wrong exit there. My sex, second instinct was to say... You guys are being too loud. I can't, I can't hear the GPS. And then I finally just said to myself, well, you made a bad mistake. <laughs> now you got to find another exit, turn around. And, you know, in Southern California, that's not the easiest thing to do. But I was going the wrong direction, right? I needed to turn around and go the right direction. And really, that's repentance. Repentance is turning and going the way of the Lord. So we're going to look at Mark chapter 1, verses 1 through 18. We're going to be talking about repentance this morning. Mark 1, verses 1 through 8 says, The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way, the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. John appeared, baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the countryside of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. We ask God that you will bless this service in the preaching of your word. And we pray that, God, you will open the hearts of people in here whose maybe their, their hearts are closed to you. Maybe they're far from you. God, may they return and have faith in Jesus Christ. And, God, for us who are, are following you by faith, I pray you'll encourage our heart to keep trusting you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, last week we studied the first couple verses there, right? And we said the first uh, verse there in Mark is actually, some say, the title of this book. which So it's the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And then we went through some of the names of Jesus and, and recognized that Jesus was his human name. And it meant that Jehovah, or the Lord, is salvation. It kind of represented who he was. He came as the Lord, God, as a baby, grew up, and brought salvation to man. And then we looked at Christ as his title, and that means that he was the anointed one. Then we saw his name, the Son of God, his title, the Son of God, represented that he was uh, divine. He had the divine nature. He is the eternal, self-existing God. We got to the first point there. The first point was that we can see the good news about Jesus revealed in the word of God. And we saw that in verses 2 and 3. And so we recognize that those two verses there... Are, a quote, are quotes from two Old Testament passages. And so John the Baptist, when he preached, he was fulfilling scripture by being the messenger, but also he was preaching God's word. And so you look down in verse number three, you can see that it predicts that a man would come. Verse three, the voice of one crying in the wilderness. So that was, that was John the Baptist. And he preached this, he preached God's word. He said, prepare the way of the Lord. So now what we're going to do is we're going to look at John the Baptist. We're going to look at the good news as preached by John the Baptist, the herald. So the good news as preached by the herald. A herald was a messenger, as we said last week, that would proclaim good news. Now, do you ever have this when you come home? When I come home, I walk into the house and the dog is the one that's my herald. Right? He's barking, jumping up on me, and everyone goes like this, you know, Used to be, they used to run in my arms and give me hugs, and but now I live in the church property. I guess, I guess I just I'm not I'm always home. You know, it's like even being in my office is home, I guess. Or maybe if you're a grandparent, you know your your kids go, grandma's here, grandpa's here, right? So there's, there's a herald. That was John the Baptist. He was the herald to say Jesus has come. In fact, if you look at verses two through four, there actually you can see the prophecy about John the Baptist, and then you can see the fulfillment of that prophecy through the person john the baptist so look in verse number two so here's the messenger behold the bible says i that's god send my messenger and then look down in verse number four and you see that john appeared right and that idea there is that uh, the verb appeared is an aorist tense and it denotes a point in time so in other words there was a point in time when god sent john the baptist Onto the scene, he fulfilled prophecy, and he proclaimed the coming of the Lord. And then look in verse 2. It says that he will prepare your way. Well, how did this coming one, John the Baptist, prepare the way for Jesus? Well, in verse 4, it tells us that he was baptizing people in the wilderness. So it was John the Baptist, which doesn't mean he was a Baptist. Okay? Like, some people think that. It's like, oh, I'm a Baptist because John the Baptist was a Baptist. No, actually, it means John the Baptizer describes what he did, okay? And so if you think that, oh, well, I think it might be a Baptist because I'm John the Baptist was a Baptist. I'm sorry, but that's not true. <laughs> but it shows what he did there. He baptized people. That's how he prepared their way. We'll talk about what that means in a moment. And then verse number 3, you can see that he's crying or he's he's preaching in the wilderness. And then verse 4, you can see that's what John the Baptist does. He proclaims repentance, a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. So John the Baptist was a herald to prepare for Jesus. First notice what type of herald he was. He was a messenger, a messenger sent by God. That's what it says there in verse number two. The word messenger is actually the same word um, as angel. And so an angel is a messenger sent by God. It's a celestial being, right? Now, he wasn't a a celestial being. But the idea is that God um, describes the angels in heaven by what they do. They send a message. They come and present a message. And John the Baptist was was kind of like that. That was his responsibility. God had him come, born of a human, and had a natural birth, mother and a father. And he was born into this world, but for a purpose, and that was to proclaim the coming of the Lord. It's interesting that he came as a normal person, and all he did was preach the gospel, the gospel about Jesus, repent and believe. And as we said last week, I think it's important to remember that God is working in this world through the the preaching of the word. And that's why this kind of hour right here is so important. It's the Lord's Day gathering at Lighthouse here. We're gathering for what purpose? To fellowship and to worship God, but also to learn from his word and to be able to, to grow through the word of God by listening to it. And then going out and living it. And I'm just little plug here for the Sunday classes. I think that's why it's important to have these kind of Sunday classes, right? There's, there's a preacher that's preaching the word. There's just teachers in ladies' classes and men's classes and children's classes that are teaching the word. And then we're to be doing that in our life throughout the week, right? Every one of us is to really be teaching the word, right? Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And then what are you supposed to do? Teach and admonish people, right? So the church should be doing that with each other. And so there's a messenger that God sent it was sent by God and then also he was a beggar pleading on God's behalf. Look at verse number 3. He says it says the scriptures say the voice of one crying in the wilderness. He was pleading with people. He wasn't just explaining Old Testament prophecy. You know, he wasn't the boring Old Testament professor, you know, that stood up there and said, "No, no, Isaiah, I'll jump for 40." And you know, everyone falls asleep, right? I mean, he was actually screaming out saying come to the lord repent and prepare for the one that is to come this word crying was used also in, in luke luke uses it to describe a man who is crying out to jesus i'm just read this passage for you luke 9 38 37 it says on the next day when they had come that's the disciples down from the mountain a great crowd met him that's jesus and behold a man from the crowd shouted out. He cried out. It's the same word right there. He said, teacher, I beg you to look at my son for he's my only child and he had a need. He needed to be healed. And so what did he do? He didn't just say, excuse me, Jesus. I have this problem. He was begging Jesus, listen, I need my son healed. And what John the Baptist was doing in that wilderness, he wasn't just standing out there as the boring preacher. He was begging people, please come, prepare your hearts for the coming one. So he was passionate to proclaim the good news. You ever seen those daredevils that like to go on top of buildings and they walk on the edge or you ever been with someone that's by a cliff, right? And they're the kind of person that likes to come out and go as close to the edge. you be like, wow. And you, what do you, what do you want to do if you're near that person? If you're an average, normal human, <laughs> what do you want to do? Like, Get back here! <laughs> you know, yelling. Please, don't. can you please step away? I'm very nervous right now. Right? I mean, you're you, you in some sense you might want to plead with them to come back from the edge. We have people that are all all around us in this world who are on the edge of life. Right? I mean, they're on the edge of life, and the reality is that they actually at some point will step off the edge. Right? Because life will end at some point, point. and we need to. Just as passionate as we would if someone was in danger like that, plead with them. Please trust the Savior. Come to Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20 says, Therefore, we are ambassadors. We're sent ones by God. And listen to this. God is making his appeal through us. So think about that. God is making his appeal through us. Like, we are actually representing God on earth and we're actually crying out what? God is making his appeal to us. We implore you, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Like, think about that. It's not just that, oh, we're Christians. We're supposed to tell people about Jesus. But actually, God has sent us. So when we go out and we tell someone about Christ, it's actually, we are speaking for God. Right? Don't, don't get me wrong. We're not God. Right? But we're speaking on his behalf. And we're crying out. And we're saying, please. I implore you on the behalf of Christ, please be reconciled to God. And so he was a beggar pleading for people to come to Christ. And then also he was a prophet who depended on God. Look at verse number six. The Bible says, now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. Now, why did he dress this way? Was this the latest trend in the wilderness? Well, there's probably a number of reasons. It could be because it, was, it gets cold at night. Probably pretty practical, right? But actually, uh, he probably dressed this way because Second Kings one eight says that Elijah wore a garment of hair with a belt of leather about his waist. So that's what prophets wore. I mean, he actually set the trend. You know, California sets the trend for everywhere else. Well, Elijah set the trend for all the prophets. So if you're a prophet, you want to look like a prophet. Wear that kind of clothing, right, in the wilderness there. And, uh, and actually, he represented, in some sense, the second Elijah, right? In fact, actually, uh, Luke chapter 1, the angel Gabriel announces to Zechariah that your son to be born will come in the spirit and the power of who? Of Elijah. That's right. So he was no ordinary prophet. He was the, the second Elijah, if you want to say it that way, the prophet to come announce the prophet Messiah, Jesus Christ. And what about his diet? Why did he eat locusts and wild honey? Now, doesn't that just make you hungry for lunch? You know, can you just imagine taking a locust, plucking off its wings, maybe a couple of the legs and just dipping it in the honey and crunching on it? That'd be good. Yeah. Nope. Probably a good thing you haven't eaten yet. But there's a, a couple of reasons why people think that he maybe ate this way. Some think because it reflected his Nazarite vow. Some think he ate this way because he was living a ascetic life and so he was... Uh, having self-denial and and wanting to, you know, have that kind of lifestyle. And it could be some of those. But I think his diet reflects the fact that he was living off the land. Like, if you're in the wilderness, what's there to eat, you know? You don't go to your local McDonald's, right? So and actually represents, I think, also that he was trusting God. And if you're living in the wilderness, so you have that, you know, camel's hair, so that keeps you warm at night, which is practical, which is good, represents that you're a prophet. What are you going to eat, right? And he could have gone to town, I guess, and got some things, but he actually ate this way because it showed that he was dependent upon God to supply his needs. So like Elijah, who was in the wilderness as well, and he actually went to the brook Cherith, right? And he was running from Ahab and from Jezebel and and he was a prophet that was proclaiming Christ, but he's being persecuted, and God provided for him. Remember that story? And the raven came, and the morning would give him bread and meat, and then at night, and he would drink from the brook chariot there. And the idea there was that God provided for his needs. And so I think when people would see this here, or they're looking, this is a prophet. Here's a man who is dependent upon God. And notice also that he was dependent upon God, but also notice his message, his message. He says in verses 3 through verse uh, 7 there, he says really there's really two parts to his message. There's one part that he says repent. And there's the other part where he says receive the Lord. So, so notice as I read through this, these verses where he's calling people to repentance and then where he's calling people to come to Jesus or be ready for Jesus. So in verse number 3, he says prepare. What are you to prepare? You're preparing your heart, right? It's not like they're making a house for him. right? You're saying, he's saying prepare your heart. For the way of the Lord. So repent and re- be ready for the Lord. Look at verse uh, number three. Um, verse number four. He says, "Baptized." He was baptizing the wilderness. So, and the idea was he was having a baptism of repentance. And I will talk about that in a moment. And then he was also, pro- um, he was, oh, I'm sorry. It says right there, proclaiming a baptism of repentance. And then also for the forgiveness of sins. The idea of that is that you're repenting. And you're looking to the one who can forgive sins. And then verse number seven, he talks about the one who's going to come. And so he's, he's saying, look to the one who's going to come. If You look at verse 8, he's saying, I baptize you with water. The idea there is that you're, it's a baptism of repentance. But he who comes after me is going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. So you see that both those are happening here. So he's preaching a message that says, repent and then receive the Lord. In fact, look down in verse number 15. And that's the same message that Jesus preached. Jesus said there, he says, repent and believe the gospel or believe in me. So John the Baptist's message is split into those two parts. So I want to focus right now just in the first one on repent. You know, it's kind of a word that has a bad, um, maybe a bad taste in our society. People think of the guy that's on the side of the street that has the sign, and, you know, and is telling everyone and yelling at people that, you know, they're going to hell, repent. And, and, and some of those people, I think, can preach the gospel. Some of those people actually hurt the gospel, right? I remember being one time in Daytona Beach, and there was a guy that did that with a megaphone and he had a sign down there and it says, repent, you're going to hell. And then he was sort of preaching and he was yelling at people and he was telling people they're wicked, they're going to hell. And and then people would talk back to him because they would have these conversations and he basically said he was a good person and everyone else is bad and <laughs> there was no gospel there. And it was like, this is not helpful for the kingdom. People are super mad. They're all gathering around him. They're yelling at him. And I thought... Okay, that's not helpful for the gospel. And so, some people have that view. It's like, oh, that kind of person, that's what he was telling them to do. So, let's talk about what does it mean to repent? What does it mean to repent? Well, there's three parts, three steps, you might say, of repentance. There's three steps of repentance. It's not like it's not a formula, okay? It's just the idea is like there's three parts, three steps there of repentance. First of all, he says in verse number three, prepare the way of the Lord. The idea here is that you're evaluating. Your heart. So the first step of repentance is evaluate your heart. Prepare for it. Like ask God, God, show me what my heart is truly like. That's what the psalmist says in Psalm 139 Search me, O God, and, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and, and see if there's any wicked way in me. It's like the first part here of repentance. Is you just say, Okay, I'm open, God, to my heart being completely wicked and I not knowing it, right? And the idea is I'm opening my heart and saying, God, please search my heart. It's important for us to have this take place on a regular basis, right? But I would even just say right now in your seat, right? Open your heart to God and say, God, okay, I'm going to remove the self-righteousness. I'm going to remove the pride. I, I just want to evaluate my heart. God, search me. Like, is, is there something in my life right now that I am blind to? The second part of repentance is a change of thinking. Like that's actually what the word means. It means to change the way you think. And so verse number four, John says he was baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Now you read that right there, and you might think, Oh, that's kind of confusing. What does that mean? Well, let's talk about what it doesn't mean first, and then we'll talk about it. What it does mean. People were not getting baptized so their sins could be forgiven. Okay? Wasn't the idea wasn't that. Once you go under the water, there's this magical thing that happens. And all of a sudden, your sins are forgiven when you come out. There's nothing like that taking place. John was actually proclaiming a baptism of repentance that leads to the forgiveness of sins. So the idea there is that baptism did not bring about forgiveness. So the people were first to repent. They were to testify that they had a heart of repentance by being baptized. And then they were to look for the one that was to come. That is Jesus so the idea there is that baptism actually represented, it represented that your heart was repentant. In fact, I think about my ring in my hand right now, and this ring uh, represents that I'm married, right? Does this ring make me married? It's like, okay, now I'm not married anymore, right? No, the idea is that, is that it represents what is happening in my covenant relationship with my wife, that I have covenanted with her and the same thing is true with baptism it doesn't save doesn't take away sin doesn't do anything like that it just represents what's happening in the heart for by grace you're saved through faith as we read this morning and it's it's not a, it's not of yourself right it's a gift of god we're saved through faith it's not of your own doing it's a gift of god not of works, us anyone should boast. so so it's not a way to receive forgiveness but it's an outward demonstration of an inward decision it's an outward demonstration of of an inward decision. So look at verse number four. You see the word repentance. It's actually in the Greek, it's two words. And the idea is that you're changing your mind, you're, you're changing your thinking. So your thinking is wrong. You, you realize my thinking is wrong and I need to change it to what is right. So the idea is that you're going the wrong direction in your thinking and you need to turn around and go the right direction. And you need to learn and know and trust and believe and think like the truth. So verse five says, That they were doing what? What was it that they were repenting of? What were they changing the way of their thinking about? They were confessing their sins, right? So so the inward decision that they were making in their heart was that my thinking and my beliefs and my, maybe even say my lifestyle, how I'm living my life is sinful. Like I'm actually thinking and believing the wrong things and I need to turn and think and believe the way of Christ, and so the idea is, like, I was going down the road the wrong way, right? I realized I needed to turn around. So people were repenting, which means they were turning from their own sinful ways, their own sinful thinking, and then turning to the one that was going to come. So how did they demonstrate that? Like, how do you tell everyone that? Like, can you put a sign on you that says, I'm a repentant person, right? Well, they, back then, what they did at this time in the Jewish society and with John the Baptist is that they got baptized, And actually, you could translate that verse by, instead of saying the baptism of repentance, you could actually use that uh, word repentance as an adjective and say uh, repentance baptism. The idea was that it described what kind of baptism it was. Let me just read this commentator, Robert Stein. He writes, if you're a real technical person, this might help you. If not, then that's just, wait 30 seconds. The genitive of, of, in the expression baptism of repentance is best understood as a genitive of description and translated as repentance baptism, not an objective genitive, a baptism for repentance or arising out of repentance. So the idea is like you're going to be baptized because you have been repentant. And so you could translate it that way. And think, consider this, the Jews that were going out there. So it says Jerusalem and all Judea were going out to be baptized by him. When they would go out there to be baptized, think about what that would mean for them. They, they did have um ritual washings that they would do and get in baths and do things like that but this was not that this was different see see at this time when a person who was a gentile wanted to convert to be a proselyte jew they would be baptized so the idea is, is a person that said i want to i want to now follow judaism they would have a couple other things they had to do sacrifices and circumcision and things like that but one of the things they would do is they'd be baptized So these are Jewish people coming out to be baptized. What does that represent? I mean, think about it. They're coming into this river. I can imagine the River Jordan there. I can imagine some of them think back to another person who was dipped down seven times in the river. Who was that person? Remember that? Naaman, right? He was the Syrian, and he came there, and he dipped down in that river. And I can imagine they're thinking, I'm like Naaman, right? I'm like a Gentile, which means I'm outside of the covenant of God. And in their heritage, they were not. They were actually Jewish people. But they're saying, my heart is like a Gentile. And they're confessing that they are far from God. And the third part of repentance, first, third step is to confess your sin to God. So search your heart. God, search my heart, change how I think, and then confess that to God. And so that's what he says in verse number five. They were confessing their sins. Confess means to agree so you're agreeing with god about the condition of your heart now i like to when i teach children i like to tell them this word can be um understood as tattling you can actually give a, a definition of this confess means a tattle like tattle on yourself to god right so i'm in the kitchen and you know i'm eating a little extra cookie and one of my kids says daddy mom is have another cookie i just love tattlers tattletale no just kidding <laughs> But actually, we are to tattle on ourselves to God, right? We confess, God, okay, this is what you say about me, and this is what it truly is. In fact, would you do something with me? Flip over to Luke chapter 3. This is a parallel passage, and Luke records a little bit more detail of what happened at these baptisms. And people were confessing sin. So think about that. They're actually saying, this is what's wrong with me. So what does that look like? in the life of maybe a tax collector? What does it look like in the life of a soldier? Look at verse 12. What were the people confessing? So tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to him, Teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, Collect no more than you are authorized to do. Soldiers also asked him, What shall we do? And he said to them, do not extort money from anyone by threats or by false accusation, and be content with your wages. So John was not teaching works-based salvation. What they're saying is, it's like, okay, what what is wrong with us? What what are we supposed to do? He said, listen, like, tell God what you really are like. Confess your sin, and then go out and live how you're supposed to live, how God intended you to live. And they're to confess their sin to God. So if you're a soldier, confess. I'm an extorter. Like, I extort money. I make threats and accusations. If you're a tax collector, say, I rip people off. Like, that's really who I am. I'm a, I'm a person. I'm a thief, right? I'm a, I work for the IRS. No, just kidding. Okay. So turn back to Mark chapter 1 and think about that. What does that mean for us? Well, you're like, I'm not a soldier. <laughs> I'm a, I don't work for the IRS. No. I'm not doing that kind of stuff, right? Well, think about just in your own context. So you're a parent, right? And, and God says to us in the word of God that we're not to provoke our kids to wrath. So we're gonna, we have to be careful about how we treat our kids, how we respond to our children, but to bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. So, so let's go through those three things. Think about that. Have you examined your heart about how you respond to your children? Does your thinking need to change about how you respond to your, your child's sin? So like you're a homeschool mom or maybe your kids are coming home from school and your dad, you're helping them with their homework and it's frustrating, right? And you just want to yell at them because they can't figure out the math problem, right? It's so frustrating. And so you have a bad reaction to that. Like, have you examined your heart about that? And do you need to change your thinking of how you actually should deal with your child? And then last, have you confessed that wrong response to God and say, God, I, this is wrong and I confess it. And I agree with you about it. Or you're an employee and you spend the, your time at work on the computer, you know, maybe surfing social media or, or maybe watching a movie, right? Or maybe cutting corners on things. So have you, as an employee, have you evaluated your heart and said, okay, let me think about this. Like, what is my heart like as an employee compared to what God's word says I should be like? Does your thinking need to change about how, you use your company's time and then have you confess it to God. He's like, God, I'm wasting their time. I'm actually robbing them of the time that they are due. Or maybe you're a wife or a husband and you're to unconditionally love them, right? Unconditionally love your spouse. But you're fighting to win, right? I will not give in unless they say they're sorry, right? And so examine your heart, right? Now, if you're laughing, it might be because, no, just kidding. I won't we'll go there. <laughs> But think about it. We need to examine our hearts and how we treat our spouse, right? And does your thinking need to change actually about how you're going to respond to your spouse instead of defending yourself? Instead of saying, you know, this is, this is actually going to happen and not going to happen unless you do this. But actually, no, no, I need to change my thinking. I'm going to love you no matter what. I'm going to forgive. And have you confessed that to God? Is say, God, this is what I'm like. Confess it to the Lord. So the message of John the Baptist was repent. That's what repentance is. But you can't stop there. Okay? You can't be the sign guy out there, you know, doing that. You actually have to say, and so you turn to Jesus. Repentance is turning, right? And you're turning to Jesus. And they go together. It's like a coin. You, know? you have two sides of a coin. You can't have one without the other. You first have to turn from your sin, turn from your own way, turn from your, you, you can say your self-made religion or maybe even a man-made religion. And you got to turn to Jesus, and you might say, "Well, John the Baptist, that hairy guy in the wilderness, pe- preached repentance. Like no one else really did that, did they? Actually, Jesus did. right? Listen to these verses. Luke 5:32. Jesus said, "I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance." Luke 13:5, I tell you, uh, unless you repent, you will likewise perish." The disciples' message that they preached, they went out Mark chapter 6, verse 12. They went out and preached that men should repent. Acts thirteen nineteen. another preaching time. Therefore, repent and return so your sins can be wiped out. And actually, Revelation 3, this is a pretty popular passage that people hear a lot. In verse 20, it says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. So the idea is Jesus is knocking and he's saying, come to me. But listen to what it says right before that. Verse 19, "Be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him, and he with me. So we must come to the Lord with a heart of repentance, Or we God search my heart, change my thinking, confess my sin, and then come and trust in Jesus. So when a person repents and believes, what happens? God saves them, right? They have the forgiveness, as it's talked about in the passage, the forgiveness of their sins. Who's the one that forgives them? It's Jesus. It's God, right? Jesus does it. We have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. So we have the forgiveness of sins because of Jesus, not because of something you're doing, not because of your repentance, right? All you're doing is saying, I'm wrong. (laughs) Let's go the way of Jesus. So don't, don't formalize this. Okay. Some people think about that. They go, well, I got to do this and then this and then this, and then I'm saved. Like, no, you can't do anything to get saved. Right. It's actually Jesus is the one who saves us. But the idea is you have to turn to him and truly turn to him. And once you can repent and believe in Jesus, what's the promise from God? That your sins past, present, and future are forgiven. Right. You don't have to do it every day. Like every day you are forgiven by God. However, we still sin, don't we? We still sin. So what does that mean? That means we need to still come to God in repentance and faith, right? Not for salvation, but for sanctification. Listen to this. 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, talking to believers, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And the idea is, is that you have a time in your life where you start turning from your own way, and you turn to Jesus and that really is something that happens on a daily basis the rest of your life. You're always saying, okay, I'm evaluating my heart. How am I thinking? I should not be going that way. What does God's word say? I'm going to trust you, Jesus. That's our life pattern. We're trusting in the Lord. And we do baptism in this church. In fact, we had a couple weeks ago, right? We had a baptism a couple weeks ago. So was the baptism that John the Baptist did, was it the same as our baptism here? Well, Jesus kind of updated it, Right? In Matthew chapter 28, he says, go and make disciples and do what? Baptize them. But actually has the same kind of idea where you are demonstrating and out, uh, outwardly you're demonstrating an inward decision. The decision is a little different than John the Baptist and really probably from how the Jewish people understood it because you are repenting and you're saying, listen, I'm a sinner. I was going my own way. But also now you are demonstrating, you're trusting in Jesus because what happens when a person goes underwater, right? Buried in the likeness of his death and raised to life, right? And the idea is that I have trusted Jesus. I've trusted that he died and I died with him. And he was raised again. And I am now a resurrected in my heart. I'm a resurrected believer. Jesus has forgiven me. It's a picture of salvation. Again, baptism does nothing to forgive your sin. It demonstrates Outwardly what outwardly, what God did inwardly in your heart. So what are we to do with the word here today? We are messengers of the same gospel that John the Baptist preached, right? We are sent ones. We must go out with the word and tell people the bad news and the good news. And call them to come to Jesus. And we're not just... Ambassadors. We're ambassadors that beg and plead and really have a passion for people. So, this week, as we go throughout our week, let's keep our eyes open. And let's look at the people that we see in our life our neighbors as they come out of the house, and our coworkers at work, and even those people on TV who sometimes drive us crazy, right? Or maybe you like a lot. And remember that those people are, are souls. Who need Jesus? May we pray and go forward with the gospel. And may we live the gospel. I mean, if you're a person in here and you're like, you know what? Pfft, Jesus, I come to church. I'm here, right? That's great. But if you're not living a daily life of repentance and faith in Jesus, if that's not like part of your life, you need to examine and ask yourself and ask God to say, God, show me. Am I truly a believer in Jesus? Listen, a believer believes And that means a believer turns, a person turns from their own way and they turn to Jesus. And maybe you've never done that. And you, this morning, now have heard the good news. And you can be saved. All you have to do is turn to the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, it is amazing just to think about the simplicity of the call of Christ upon us. And that is to give up our own way of thinking. Maybe even ways of thinking that people have taught us. And then turn to Jesus and, and think and believe and trust in him. And so, God, I pray for maybe an individual in this room that is far from you. Their heart is resistant to you. They don't want to have their heart searched by you. Their arm and their mind is extended saying, God, stay away from me. And, God, I pray that their heart will be humble this morning. They'll open their heart to you. And they'll turn from their way turn to you. I pray that, God, you will give us a passion here to give that gospel to people. And I pray that, God, that even a, a person like John the Baptist will kind of open our eyes to say, if a person can give up his life to go live in a wilderness and proclaim a gospel to people, God, maybe I can, in my comfortable life, just do that on a daily basis. And God, give us that passion in our heart to love Jesus and people enough that we go forward with your good news.